favorites. We are going to spend some time on this Epiphany Sunday and through the next few weeks of what we call ordinary time, and that sounds so exciting. It actually comes from the word ordinal. It's ordinal time, and we refer to it as ordinary. It's nothing ordinary about it. But we're going to talk about glimpses of the kingdom. And you might be saying, kingdom? What are you talking about? Well, we use the word kingdom a lot. And why not use the word kingdom for this, for this series, you might be asking. What's well, a fair question? But sometimes we use a word so often that our familiarity becomes unfamiliar with what it was intended. And so I, I had an experiment with the word awesome this week. Have you used the word awesome lately? Yeah. Do you know what it means? In awe. In awe. Yeah, it's something worthy of awe. I have heard, I put it on Facebook, what does awesome mean to you? And there were some really, truly awesome things, but there were things from a television show was awesome. Really? <laughs> Feeling you get when your team wins. As a Colts fan, I have not had an awesome season. <laughs> Beach sunsets. Okay. Okay. The birth of children. Yeah. Okay. Watching an adopted child realize they belong and embrace the family back. Yeah. Seeing wild horses on the loose. Yeah, that'd be awesome. A podcast about British monarchy. <laughs> I haven't listened to it, so maybe it is something truly awesome. A slice of pizza. Did I make you hungry? Or are you realizing maybe that's not awesome? We're all over the place with our understanding of awesome. But awesome is something to be in awe of. So... Maybe we can take this and think about the way that we use it. Words take on new meanings, and we start to use it for all sorts of things. The word love is no different. We can love our parents, and we can love our taco or many other things. Kingdom sometimes takes on some meanings or loses meanings because we think we're familiar with it because we use it all the time. So in Scripture, kingdom refers to the activity or influence of God present on earth, the kingdom. In the Old Testament, it referred to the promise of the ideal kingdom being lived in and through Israel. They were supposed to live a certain way, that the activity and influence of God would come through them. Well, to spoil the story, many of their kings were not very ideal. Amen? So while they dealt with that, they also had the vision of the ideal kingdom to come where they would live into the promise in the Exodus that they would be God's treasured possession. They would be a priestly kingdom, a holy nation through whom the rest of the world received the blessing promised to Abraham long ago. So Israel's kings, they, they struggled, as we do. But there's always the vision of the kingdom that they had. In Jesus' time, the kingdom was the manifestation of God's reign or rule on earth in people. Which is why we hear at one point, the kingdom is coming, and then not too long after, the kingdom is at hand. It's near. It's here. It's available. It's right, it's right within arm's reach. In Jesus' understanding of the kingdom, you could enter the kingdom here and now, be a part of it. But we get confused saying kingdom with a G in the middle because we often think of a place. A place of there it is and there it isn't. The kingdom is much bigger, much broader than that. The kingdom refers to this reality where God's will and reign are occurring, oftentimes among people. 
People live by God's compassion, love, and truth, and grace, and justice, where God dwells, because God's way and will dwells on earth as is in heaven. This is life with the eternal God, sometimes referred to as eternal life, where we all awaken to a truth that we're all connected. We're all a big family. We share one parent. Amen? So the kingdom is a family. That's why we use the word kin. Kingdoms kind of become a way to refer to it, to understand it. Kingdom. So we're going to use that word to try to help us reimagine what the kingdom really is, to catch glimpses of it, or to reflect back on the glimpses we've had already. Now, as I prepared this sermon, I was texting with a young man who was part of a youth group I had at one point. He had a birthday this week. He's in his mid-20s. I wished him a happy birthday. He asked how the family was. He asked how Noah was. And how old is Noah now, he said. Noah was 10 the last time he saw him. So I said, well, he's 18. And he said, to quote, that doesn't seem right, but that's awesome. (laughs) Okay, maybe it is. Awesome has taken on meaning kingdom the same way, so we'll use kingdom. Uh, we're going to try to understand what Jesus was talking about. If you want a really fun exercise, pick a gospel. Matthew, Mark, or Luke kind of use this the most. The word kingdom, just go through and read the whole gospel and highlight the verse or mark it where the word kingdom is used. And then at the end, go back through and read the highlight. Read what is being referred to by the word kingdom. You will be surprised. It's right there, but we, we miss it. I worked at church camps for a long time, and uh, I did little kids to big kids, and there was one particular church camp, this group here, this lovely group, they were a group of senior high kids in 2010, so they're much older now, and they were an interesting group of kids. Amid that group, there were a number of categories we could assign or say or ones that they claimed. There were people who were Cheerleaders who were very popular, very well-liked, had a good home life. Everything was seemingly what we might refer to as normal. And then there were others who had a good life, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't built the same way. They may have just had a parent at home, or one of them lived with grandparents. Some had siblings, some did not. One of them came from a gang. They were in a violent gang where they dealt drugs, and they were working their way out of it during the time at this camp. Another person really was struggling with depression, and acceptance, and their parents made them come to church camp. I thought, thanks, and put it all on me. But it was such a good place to be. There were people that would label themselves differently as far as sexuality. There were people that labeled themselves differently as far as their understanding of faith. This was an interesting mix of youth that, as we got to know them in the first day or two, it was like, whew, this is a good potpourri of young people. They didn't know how to handle each other. There was arguing and there was fighting. So this particular camp, there's no electricity. It's in July, by the way. Cook your breakfast and your dinner over a fire. You sleep together in what's called a hogan. It's basically like a covered wagon with the wheels taken off. And you slept there. So they would be a little cranky every now and again. But we were all together all the time, fixing meals, going to the pool, where we would have study together, where we would adventure on hikes. We were always together, and they struggled. And one of the last activities we did for the week, we'd have worship every evening, but the final evening, we slept up at this big shelter house. That there's a, the canopy of the woods is open, so you can see the stars. And I had crafted this particular style of worship where you go through individually. 
So one person starts, and 10 minutes later, the next person starts, and that just continues till everyone's gone through. There are stations, and it's really just contem contem contemplative. There, there's the word. And as they got done, I said, just sit by the fire and wait for everyone else. So the last person to go had to wait a good hour and a half to start, and the person that got done first had to wait a good hour and a half for everyone to finish. And I was sitting with the counselors off to the side, just monitoring, and I saw one person sit, another person, and then a person that had really made the other two people really mad sat down. And then as they started to sit, I noticed they stopped sitting on the benches and they moved and sat knee to knee, you know, kind of crisscross, I'm not going to try to do it, crisscross applesauce around the fire. And they just kept coming in. And I noticed I started seeing tears and people crying. And I noticed that they started to release the divisions and the barriers. I had something else planned for the evening, but when I saw what was happening, I I said, we're just going to sit. We're not going to interrupt it. We're going to sit over here. And for a couple hours, I saw bonding like I'd never seen of any group of people. That's the kingdom. That's what I think about when I think of the kingdom. That's what it's supposed to be. I don't know if they continued to embrace it when they went home and got back to normal lives, but they had a moment, and it still moves me. Jesus spent all of his time preaching about living the kingdom. He told parables. He performed healings. He shared meals. He argued with religious leaders, and he ultimately died, died on the cross to reveal what the kingdom's all about. And the story of Jesus and the church, we catch glimpses of the kingdom. In our lives, if we pay attention, we catch glimpses of the kingdom, and they stick with you. Is there anything else worth investing our focus and energy on than pursuit of the kingdom? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, amen? What else should we be devoting our energy to? It's a question worth pondering because sometimes we get distracted. And so, with that long introduction, should we begin the series? <laughs> We're going to read from Matthew 3 in a moment. And a few weeks ago, we read the opening verses to Matthew 3. John preached on the coming of the kingdom and repentance. He was preparing the way for the Lord's Adventus, preparing people's hearts and minds for what it was going to mean to see the kingdom ushered in. So we're going to continue the scene with John today. We're going to continue on in that, but I want you to take notice. We've read this story, we've heard it, but again, it may be unfamiliar. John gives an image of the kingdom and the Messiah in his preaching before Jesus comes on the scene. He gives an image based on his expectations. And then immediately, his expectations are thrown out the door. They're blown away. He's in awe. He's awestruck at what it is he's seeing based on what he expected. That's the point. Sometimes we look at his image and we think, well, that's what it's supposed to be. Notice, John didn't have it quite right. In fact, later in the story, he sends people to Jesus to be like, are you the one? Because this is not what I expected. Even John needed to repent. So as we hear what he lifts up, like you might, we might liken it to Dorothy and her companions going to see the Wizard of Oz only to discover the man behind the curtain. It's shocking. Let's hear from Matthew chapter 3, and we're actually going to start at verse 11 through 17. The Baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, 
and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Repentance. Imagine John's face when Jesus says, No, you're going to baptize me. John would need repentance too. Jesus looked, acted, and was nothing like John expected. Judgment itself was judged in Jesus. Jesus came not to baptize, but to baptize, but to be baptized. Not to condemn, but to heal, to save. Not to draw a line in the sand, but to stand with humanity. That's the beauty of the scene. That's the beauty of the kingdom and the opening scene of Jesus' ministry. Right away, Jesus flips it all upside down. Hang on, friends. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Jesus came to join us in our humanity. He doesn't enter the waters because he needs to be cleansed of sin. He enters the water to turn his life toward his vocation. Up to that point, he was living, doing, I don't know. But at that moment, he turned toward his vocation, what he was called to do. He received the Spirit, and off he went. He came into the waters to stand with everyone else in the waters. How's he going to lead us if he's not one of us? He entered into the muck and the mess of humanity, joined us in our struggles to turn us all toward the kingdom. Righteousness was fulfilled in this act, right? To fulfill all righteousness, let's... John, just play along, Jesus says. Just play along to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness refers to relationships. In Greek, the word righteousness and justice, they're interchangeable. They're the same Greek word. But you can't do righteousness or justice on your own, can you? It's only in relationship that you could start to understand and and visualize and enact justice. With myself, I can't. Jesus is revealing that this is all about us together. Jesus was God coming to join humanity in relationship to set things right between us and God and us and one another, the kingdom. Justice, truth, peace, compassion, and love are all present in this scene. If we can repent and accept this good news, we can enter the kingdom alongside of him. Jesus was an adult when he came to John And his life at that point wasn't about revealing the kingdom. It wasn't his time if we go to the Gospel of John. But he joins us and turns, and it is his time. This was the whole vocation of Israel as it was intended from the beginning, being embodied and lived in Jesus. He's fulfilling what was always intended so that the wider world could experience the kingdom too. Only Jesus could do it. Israel had tried again and again, and like us, they struggled. Jesus comes to do what people cannot and then empowers us so we can too. As he emerged from the water, he receives the affirmation of God upon him in the Spirit. As he receives the same words said in Exodus, you're my firstborn. I'm pleased with you to help us follow and live into that too. He came to do what we could not, but he invites us to follow. And so we're going to celebrate baptism today. We're going to remember Baptism. It's a time in our lives. All of us started here. All of us began in a place 
where we were not oriented to God. Amen? Where we were oriented to self. One of my daughter's favorite words, my youngest, me. Some of us don't outgrow it. (laughs) We see the world only through our perspective. She still will hold her iPad or piece of paper and say, look at what I drew and hold it to herself as if I magically can see what she sees. Some people don't outgrow that. We think we know what the world's about. We've all started there. We live and act for the sake of ourselves. We all began there. But then we came to realize that there's something bigger than ourselves. We come to realize we're not the ideal rulers of our lives. Amen? We are flawed. We are weak. We are short-sighted. We're precious. We are limited in our understanding. We come to realize that we have a need for something more than what it is we've come to know up to a certain point in our life. And some of us try other sources to fulfill that need. Money, power, status, privilege, physical pleasure, substances, distraction, stuff. But none of them live up to the hype. Some of us never outgrow trying, though. We come to realize our need for God at some point, and we come to realize this through the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives at work long before we were aware most likely through people that loved you, that showed you something better, people that embodied the kingdom in their own way for you. And when we realize that we need that, we call out to God and in God's grace, when we turn towards God, God gives us a spirit in the same way, says, you are my child. I'm well pleased. Follow, learn to grow into the kingdom. In that moment, God responds, and we embrace this grace, but it's always been within our grasp. We embrace it, and it embraces us back through the giving of the Holy Spirit. We step into the waters alongside of the humanity that is ready to turn and orient their life to the cross, and in a public statement and baptism, we commit ourselves to the body of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to the body of Jesus Christ, the church, the body, the family, the kingdom. Can you see it? Can you glimpse what Jesus has been revealing and announcing? Are you struggling? If we're honest, we're struggling. Sometimes we catch glimpses. This whole life from that point on is growing in awareness. And sometimes that takes us to places we don't feel like we're ready to go. We're like John. Are you sure this is the way? This doesn't look like I expected. So we're going to remember our baptism today. And in baptism, in the United Methodist Church, that means we are renouncing and rejecting any other directions to which we might turn. We're turning towards a life free from slavery to sin. We're committing to be free people and to free all other people, our kin, from the evil of sinful systems, dedicating our lives to following Jesus Christ as the one who heals us. Trusting only in him and the kingdom which he reveals in and through us for the whole world to see. Encouraging one another. This is all from the baptismal vows. Encouraging one another and building each other up here and now. Being ready to see whatever Jesus might have to show us next. Always ready to repent and reorient, to turn, to learn, to grow, to mature in our faith. For those who have not received baptism, please know you're welcome to participate in our remembrance today. 
by expressing your desire to step into the waters. And we're going to have the waters right here. For those of us who want to remember our baptism, we will dip our finger into the water and draw a cross upon our head. But if you would like to be baptized, take a stone. Take a stone and then come find me and we'll have some conversation. Now I realize flu and RSV and lots of things are out there and we're all dipping our fingers in water and wiping it on our faces. So I have stuff to clean your hands. So it smells good. Spray it, rub it. We'll dip our finger and draw a cross. And as you do, we're recommitting to what it is we have committed to be about. We're reminded that the kingdom is at work all around us, whether we see it or we don't, and that we are committed to finding it, to seeking it, to sharing it, that we can let seeking it be as if it's the air we breathe. It's just what we do. We don't have to have all the answers. Baptism was never about that. It was about knowing who does and following, knowing there are things that we are going to never understand. That's okay because we're following. We let go of our expectations like John, like the disciples, like Paul, like Jesus' mother, and like every other Christian who's ever committed to this faith. We repent again and again and again as the kingdom is revealed in and through us. Because as we live it, it's revealed. And as it's revealed, we're called into it. And it just goes back and forth like breathing. When you come and dip your finger in the water, don't do it because everyone's doing it, okay? Do it because you want to commit to the direction that Jesus wants to lead you. You want to commit to it with all you have. You want to place all other commitments that you have that might be good on a foundation of faith in Christ. Embrace the kingdom. Come on in, friends. The water's fine. Amen.